Hello, everyone. Welcome to PM versus PMM, a podcast about products and product roles. My name is Arjun. Hi, my name is Aditi. And today we want to talk about competitive intelligence. We want to cover how much of your product vision should rely on competitive intelligence and how to do it properly. Aditi, would you like to start us off? What exactly is competitive intelligence? So it's an interesting part of a PMM's job where what we really are looking for is what the market landscape really looks like, right? We want to understand a certain kind of market and we want to know who else is there, whether that's primary competitors, that's secondary competitors, all kinds. And what we do is we essentially do a bunch of research about the market we're going in and look, who are the key players? So we want to understand what their product is, what their key differentiator is, who their customers are. And with that information, we create a bunch of different assets that can be used within the organization. That includes battle cards to help salespeople win deals against the competitors. We can understand their product lines and what they're doing great and how we can maybe incorporate those ideas into our own. And three, we want to understand how we as a new product going into this market, place ourselves in and how we differentiate and why a customer would pick us rather than someone else. Mm -hmm. When I think about like doing competition research, I usually think of it as a more shallow study of like just getting some knowledge, but it was really working with you that I started to understand how much more useful it is in really deeper sense, specifically about like what you were saying at the end there about like, how can we use the competitive knowledge to like really get an understand of like how users are being satisfied by different products? Yeah. When you're looking into a market and doing the research, you're looking at the key leaders, especially, and you understand, okay, so what are these people doing correctly? for them to have customers. And we want to learn from that. We want to understand, okay, what can we take away from this so that we are also successful? Yeah. When I think about like new products, I typically do like a bottom-up and a top-down approach. So the bottom-up, it looks at the user and thinks about like, what are the problems that they're facing? And then the top down looks at the market and is there any gaps in the market that our product could take place in? And so when you're doing competitive analysis, I'm really curious, do you look at both sides, the bottom up and the top down, or like, do you think about it in that way? Or is that, is there another framework that you use? I definitely start top down first. I just to get an overall idea of what the market looks like. But when we really narrow down, like, say we have three competitors that are like primary, like these are the people that we're going to go head to head many times in our sales deals. And so we identify a company one, two, and three. That's when we decide, okay, these are three companies that we want to do really in-depth research for. So that's when we start going into their product really in detail. And that's where someone like you would come in to help right? You have a product manager who understands the technicalities of a product much better. And that's when we usually come to you for help with the bottom up approach where we really take, say if they have like an offering for a free trial. Yeah. We try to do that free trial. I can understand the user experience 
but someone with a technical knowledge like you can really understand, okay, so how does this product actually work? And what are the good things that they're doing that we can really incorporate for ourselves? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that in the last episode, we were talking about how we need to do more focus on the users. And that's like, this is a really good place where that point comes up again, that like keeping our focus on what these products are doing for users will really help us to understand and analyze our competition as well as like what where we are in the market. I really am excited to talk about how we thought about competitive intelligence for a little project I'm working on right now. We are looking at how people deal with financial anxiety, especially in this time where there are a lot of people being laid off. So it's very clear to us that people are suffering from financial anxiety, especially around the their purchases, feeling guilty about purchases, feeling anxiety about making purchases. So that kind of satisfies the bottom up, right? Like there is a clear problem. And then for the top down in the market, what are the tools that people have to solve their financial anxiety? And when you look at the market, there's nothing that really focuses on anxiety. And so that's where what you're saying of understanding our values really comes in, right? Because no one in the market has the same value about personal finance anxiety mm-hmm. that everyone else has. Everyone else's is like organized. And ours is no, this is about emotions. And I think that's where competitive analysis becomes really powerful because we're we're looking at the value system and we're analyzing features based on the value system a bunch of friends have been coming to me and asking oh yeah like we're going to categorize our purchases right Mm -hmm. because that's what everyone else does and when I think about it I'm like okay let's go back to our value statement is categorizing our purchases going to help people with their emotions yes no maybe so but like that's I think the right way to do competitive analysis yeah, that's the would be the right way to incorporate other ideas that you're getting while doing the competitive analysis into your own product. That's why I think it's important to differentiate between collecting information through competitive analysis and then building your own roadmap. So what you really don't want to do is do competitive analysis, find a company that's super successful, and then try to make a certain kind of version of that right? Yeah. That's exactly what you don't want to end up doing because there's already someone out there who's doing that better than you could ever do because they have a certain amount of experience. They've been doing it for longer. They have a head start essentially, right? So what you really want to do is you want to understand, okay, so what are the core things that they're doing correctly? And what are the core essentials that you really want to bring into your company? But you really want to hold on to that key differentiator that you're seeing is needed in the market. In any market, there's always a gap. There's always something that you can come in with and you can be like, oh, this is the problem that I'm trying to solve. And if you lose sight of that idea and that problem, that's when we come up with issues. And that's when we end up losing sight of what the bigger picture is. Yeah, you're just working on stuff kind of bumbling along instead of actually trying to solve something for someone. So there's a, and there's a lot of different ways to find that niche, right? Like, for feel good, the niche is 
emotions. I think for other companies, the niche could be a certain market segment, a certain type of customer, but for your like is in your the DNA of your company, you need to add things to your roadmap that only satisfy that thing, unless you're branching out. But even if you're branching out, there's some there should be some core similarity that goes with your value. Yeah, for feel good. Well, that's what I love about it. It's like when we think about finances, it seems like a lot of people don't realize how emotional finances can become. And especially when you're in a position where you're laid off and you're stressed out about 10 different things in your life because of it. The last thing you want is like looking at your bank account and freaking out every single time to the point where you're scared to even open it. Mm-hmm. And that tends to happen, especially for like late millennials or early Gen Z, who are people that are dealing with the first time of being laid off. Like they lost their job for the first time. They haven't experienced it before. And financial anxiety is new to them. And at least from what I see from my peers, we're very emotionally driven when it comes to finances and financials. Shopping can be a sort of like a feel-good experience. And mm-hmm. We come home with a bunch of things and then we look at it and we're like, can I actually afford this? Yeah, <laughs> and sure. that's where you want something like feel good to come in and be like, okay, so how can we actually deal with this problem? Right. So that's like the power of the bottom up part, right? Because it's like looking, is there really a problem? So like when you're doing the competitive intelligence, do you do it with that bottom up value? Or do you just do the intelligence and then analyze or, or figure out a way to work that information through those value systems. If that I think it's sense. important to do competitive intelligence without any prior bias first, just right. in an effort to collect all the information that you possibly can from the other yeah. company that you're looking at or in general market trends that you're looking at. Because with a, with a blank approach, you can maybe see things that you probably wouldn't have if you had got, gone in with a certain perspective. So once you have all the information that you really need from a blanket research op- approach, that's when you really start to sit down and analyze the information that you've collected. You want yeah. to do a first iteration where you just summarize it and you try to understand, okay, so what is all this information that I've collected? What does it actually mean? Mm-hmm. And then you un- try to understand, okay, how does this actually fit for me? Yeah. How, How can I use, use this information this? to make my personal app better? Yeah. And there's a bunch of ways, right? There's there's product, but there's also go to market. So you were mentioning sales, which I never thought of, right? Like you need a, cause I, that's not my background. So I, but I can see it, right? Like, okay, this is how they're pitching this feature. We need a pitch in this alternative way um, with our value system intact, you know? So uh, yeah, I really like that. That's really, really cool. Yeah, objection handling is a huge thing when it comes when it comes to a sales pitch, right? Mm-hmm. They come a customer comes in and if they're the early stages, then they're most likely shopping around, right? They're probably talking to two other companies that are doing something similar to what yep. you are. So in that case, what you really need to do is you need to place yourself in the most optimal position. You want to understand this person is probably looking at these three different companies and how do we differentiate from these three to make us look like the best one. And whether that's in a sales-led product or even in a product-led situation where your product speaks for it, but you really have to understand, okay, so if my product is speaking for itself, 
how can I make my product look like the best one out there? So you want to yeah. make the user experience amazing. You want to make the free trial signup process amazing, or you want to make the the actual information that they can collect about your product as accessible as possible, stuff like that. And in that way, it can become like really powerful. Yeah. But I have a problem at the... <laughs> <laughs> I got a problem. I'm lazy. I'm so lazy. And I know that if I was to do competitive analysis for feel good, I would be looking at everyone being like, yeah, these guys don't have the same value proposition, like not worth it. So like, I think how for, for lazy people like me, how do we stay hungry about finding the information about all of our competitors? So you have to understand you're new, right? You're new to this whole market. For example, for Feel Good, you haven't actually launched the product yet to the general public. So what you're trying to do when it comes to competitive intelligence is understand why are other companies successful? Mm. And because you want to be successful. Everyone wants to be, obviously, right? right? So you want to understand what are the core principles that these other companies have that have made them successful? And if you mm -hmm. can find those, you can understand, okay, these are... If you have like, say, 10 principles that you found, maybe two or three of them can actually be incorporated into feel good. And that can help you understand, okay, how can I make feel good successful like these other companies that have already done it? So that's yeah. something that can help you feel that hunger that you need to do competitive intel. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. Thank you. <laughs> so on to our new segment. So today we found a really cool news article about how cities in Colorado are setting up their own fiber optic cables. And it really got me interested in the idea of public internet and internet as a right. That you lived in Colorado. I did. What... I lived there for about 15 months before I uprooted <laughs> myself to New York. <laughs> it was not a long time, but a good time. Yeah. Do you know anything more about the internet situation in Colorado? I don't know a whole lot about it, but what I do love about the internet situation in Colorado is that they've really taken it into their own hands. They're like, like we, we want good internet, us. and if Comcast isn't going to give it to us, then we're going to get it for ourselves. Yeah, that's really cool. I think when I read this article, I got really excited about like where it goes from here. So like, obviously, these guys don't have great internet right now. And so they're doing this because they want good internet. But then you start it starts to like what they're going to have is basically free, like very cheap internet because they own all, all of the lines. And so the operating costs go way down. It yeah. actually, the other thing, it's interesting that we were talking about competitive intelligence before this. It, this government yeah. the involvement in internet has actually forced corporate internet providers to improve their service in Colorado. So, oh, cool. So because they have to compete with the locals now. So they're like, okay, right. so I... if we're, we can't just continue to offer a shitty internet. Because no one's actually going to buy it because they have this better option out there. People like Verizon, Fios, and stuff like that, they've improved their internet offerings and their customer service to actually battle the town internet that's being created. Which makes sense because they've put a lot of money into like having this market. <clears throat> yeah. And so they're like wasting their investment by not getting this money. Exactly. So they're putting the cost down will at least get them some money 
and pay off their investment of what they've put into it, which makes a lot of sense. In the building I was in in Denver, Verizon mm-hmm. actually put in their latest technology internet in that area. They, I think it's, I forget what it's exactly called, but it's wireless completely. Oh, and what they what they have is that they have little they have little like light lamp kind of poles all around the city and that's what's the internet providers and it's supposedly faster than fiber whoa that is cool (laughs) that Um, is really i never actually got a chance to try it but the people in the building that did they said that it was great it was amazing internet yeah that's really cool i i love the idea that internet is something that like is really it's it's just because it's like the town square right it's like where we operate and so it should be just as free as like space as a park is and i think like what they're doing in colorado is going to lead up to the like internet as a basic right argument i have some stats here apparently in 2012 the Internet Societies did a global internet user survey, and 83% of the respondents said that they somewhat agree that access to the internet should be considered a basic human right. And I love to see this article because it's the road to that, the road to the internet being a basic right that we all have for free. And I think that's that'll be an awesome future. I think it's incredibly important to have internet, especially like you said, that's where the world is today. At least the modern world, that's where it is. What we're seeing is that you can't really get anything past like food without the internet. You need it for education. You need it for being able like to do your job, essentially. You need it. You need it to advance your career in different ways and stuff like that. Like you really just need it for essentially survival at this point. Yeah. There's a lot of things wrong with the internet, but I think overall it's a awesome place. And I'm really glad that local Coloradians, is that what the word is, are like doing better for themselves on the internet. Race is the bigger question of like, it's the proactive nature that they've, t- they've they have, right? Mm-hmm. That we want to see more people taking, where it's like, you don't just take what you get you create the opportunities that you really want and that's kind of the attitude a lot of people need to have today after the 150,000 layoffs that we're seeing we need more doers right yeah we need a lot more it's an attitude that I'm trying to adjust to it's an attitude that you're obviously working on it's like we Mm -hmm. need to become doers rather than just like waiting around for someone else to help us completely agree yeah so yeah, I love to see that article from from Colorado. Aditi, on to fun facts. Do you got one? Yes, I have a fun fact. The country that has the most islands in the world is actually Sweden, which has 267,570 islands. Wow. If you asked me before this, I don't think I would have said Sweden's the country with the most islands. Yeah, that's a lot. I, I maybe would have said something in Indonesia. I yeah, mean, probably. In, somewhere in, somewhere in Oceania is what I would have guessed. Yeah, but yeah, that's really cool. They don't like their war, but they like their islands, I guess. <laughs> the Swedes. For mine, I wanted to bring up killedbygoogle.com, which is the Google graveyard. It's a site made a couple years ago, I think, but essentially they're cataloging all the products 
it's that killed off by Google. And it's just such an awesome little website full of like fun tidbits to go check out, but also just as a creator, like such a great simple idea to, to come up with. We talk a lot about products on this site and I wanted to talk about, I want for, for my fun fact, I wanted it to be about products that don't make it too. <laughs> yeah, it's important to know that not all products make it. Mm-hmm, for sure. Cool, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We wanted to talk about products here on our product manager versus product marketing manager podcast. If you have any ideas, we would absolutely love to hear from you. We're doing this to learn, express our knowledge, and to love products. We'd love to have you here. Thank you so much for listening. See you guys in the next episode. Bye.